0: sorry for saying sorry media presents the purr podcast the best podcast for feline medicine and surgery with tips tricks and updates for the entire veterinary healthcare team if you're dying to know more about cats keep on listening here are your hosts dr susan little famous cat vet and textbook author and dr yola kirpenstein talented surgeon and social media geek
1: Hello, this is Dr. Susan
2: Little. To Nikola and this is the Per Podcast.
1: Did I did I take you by surprise?
2: No, you did an excellent job.
1: Yeah. Okay. As I per tried.
2: usual, you did an excellent job. I'm I in tried. a really good mood today. <laughs> <laughs>
1: He's and generous why. today,
2: and, and that's because we have a wonderful guest. <laughs>
1: Yes, we do. So we have the second part of our chat with uh, Dr. Leslie Lyons, and we have been discussing the genetics of common cancers in, in cats. Right. Um, uh, because it, it looks like there are tools available now in uh in genomics that we didn't have in the past and that uh, we may be able to start making some headway on understanding some of some of these tumors because uh, it's not that work hasn't been put into some of these right like the mammary adenocarcinomas the oral squamous cell carcinomas um, work's been put into them uh, uh, without really coming out with much of an answer that you can hang your hat on but we may have uh ways now to, um, uh, tackle some of these things. And I, I just want to pick up on something that you said, Leslie, in the first part, and that was about the link between inflammation and cancer, because, you know, and you, you, you were wondering if there's something different about inflammation in cats. What I can tell you is that like cats are very inflammatory, um, so like, especially pathologists will often say they're like horses, horses and cats, like they're the reaction to anything seems to be inflammation. And they, you know, they, they, um, they seem to undergo that uh, response easily and more dramatically than most other species. Um, and we do know there are some links, like, for example, that um, the, the uh, Ocular, it's oc- ocular fibrosarcoma, isn't it, Yola? So, if there's been a um, a penetrating injury to an eye yes. um, that's uh, longstanding, like that, inflammation can, it seems, turn into, and it's it's a fibrosarcoma. Am I right, Yola?
2: Yeah. So most of the the irritation associated, I call it not injection, but irritation associated sarcomas, are. Spindle cell tumors that are associated by some kind of trauma, and they can then cause uh, you know uh, fibrosarcomas or sarcoma-like tumors. Mm. The, the The classical one is what we used to call the fiso's feline injection site sarcomas or vaccination site sarcomas, which is not the correct word because any any chronic stuff that you inject in a cat can probably lead to this. So the more irritation you get, the more chance you will have that these sarcomas will happen. And because they changed the the way they make these vaccines, we see them a lot less Mm. now than we used to see them a couple of like 10 years ago
3: wait a minute you're saying i i gotta clarify my notes again i gotta scratch out vas okay and now i'm gonna call it your injection site injection oh, now, irritation irritation
2: that's what i that's what i call it personally that's what
3: you call it okay right. all right yeah
2: and you can even because inflammation associated sarcomas that's yeah. even a better one because i agree with you susan it it i I don't think anybody has proven it, mm-hmm. but I think it is chronic inflammation or chronic irritation that really sets off these tumors. Mm-hmm. In cats, and not in every cat.
3: The cat no.
2: needs a specific genetic basis or bed, and then get this chronic irritation, and then they get the tumors. So there must be a difference between cats that these tumors and cats that are in the same age same like a brother and a sister and the brother gets and the sister doesn't so that's why it's so important to go back to what leslie said is we need to get samples if you have a cat like this find a sibling or somebody that doesn't have it and then start looking at what is different between those two and is it the genetic one is it the environmental one because there's so many factors that will decide if you will get a tumor yes or no
3: yeah yeah i mean so we can we can do a lot of parent offspring um in in that regard as well and i i always thought one of the one of the vaccine companies or one of the drug companies or one of the animal, let's put it, the animal health uh, pharmaceutical companies would come up and sponsor some of um, this type of work because you need to get cats from all over. Mm. And you need to get paired normals as well and, and stuff like that. But uh, um, as we started to talk about, we, we left off that first, it'd be very nice to get the epidemiology. You know, how common are these um types of tumors anyhow, they used yeah. to be more prevalent until the adjuvants were removed from yeah. some of the uh, injections. And then the secondly, how do we collect samples and and then thirdly, and get the proper clinical phenotyping. And then thirdly, uh, you know, we're coming along quite nicely with some of the genomics and getting those costs to come down. And we, we had a nice chat today with Cornell and Hills about low pass, um, genome sequencing and something called mm. imputation. So that's coming along where, you know, you could maybe do this in a cat for under $100 per cat. And uh, so that would be quite nice. So mm. we're, we're doing our best from our end, mm. but uh, the weakness definitely is the collection points.
1: Mm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah I, I, yeah, I think it would be interesting to know what what flips this the switch, as Yola said, like why, you know, if you've got siblings, for example, right? Um, why does one, why does one get a cancer that looks like it's associated with inflammation? Because we've got the injection site ones, so that seems to be inflammation driven. We've got the um, ocular sarcomas that seem to be like trauma and inflammation, and then we've got um, the the the. Uh, inflammatory bowel disease continuum, right where it looks yep. like they're, you know, at one end there's sort of a benign inflammatory bowel disease, but oh, you know, there seems to be a continuum, and we go into the small cell fairly treatable lymphomas, and maybe that goes into the large cell. You know, I, I don't know. The, the the wouldn't surprise me that those large cell lymphomas are um, quite different. Right. That they're not part of this sort of IBD small cell. But, you know, we've got we've got there's like four good examples of where it looks like the inflammation comes first and then the tumor happens. What right? about mass cell
2: tumors? So, I, I always have thought that mast cell tumors are more common in animals that have chronic irritation of their skin. That's a chronic inflammation too. So hmm. specifically in cats, because mast cell tumors are much more common in the D word, but hmm. they do occur in cats too. So is hmm. there a, a between chronic allergy and mast tumor formation?
1: So sure. you're talking about the, the cutaneous ones, I'm guessing, are you, Yola?
2: Yeah, yeah, right.
1: Yeah, yeah.
2: Or, but I mean, maybe it, uh, even the internal ones. You know, mm. is it associated with uh, chronic inflammation? I always thought that that osteosarcoma would be associated with chronic inflammation. Then more on, you know, during the growth cycle that the mm. growth cycle is on high wire and things mm. need to stored and that sort of things, and you have chronic irritation through that, and that causes then uh, these these tumor formations. So. Mm. Right. Oh, and then
1: and then we have the 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 uh the solar dermatitis uh gradient into um in, into squamous cell carcinoma, right?
2: That's chronic inf- 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 yeah. So I think for me the the key also to the, the treatment of cancers in immunotherapy and that links back to inflammation too because it's the mm. immune system that plays a role so i think that that that's that's a part of oncology mm. that has not been very clearly defined so
3: it's interesting that with mast cell tumors the the, the oncogene called kit mm-hmm. kit has been associated with mast cell tumors in humans and dogs and has been looked at a little bit in cats and i, I don't think it's been too fruitful in cats however kits the the gene kit is um also associated with white spotting yeah and so when you have kit mutations you tend to have lack of melanin and then hence this is also where these uv induced tumors are occurring uh more likely um in the areas where kit is actually non-functional, and right, you're not getting production of melanin.
1: Yeah, so you've got white hairs, and mm-hmm. yeah, and enough exposure, and there, there you go. Yeah, it's always interesting to me um, that genes can have multiple functions. Like I, I know we're kind of veering off here now, but I, I, I think it was a long time before I realized that 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 one gene can be responsible for different things.
3: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, even within my lifetime of being a geneticist, so um, 30 years, right. Uh, we went from thinking there was a hundred thousand genes, yeah, 75 to a hundred thousand genes. And now it hovers right around 20 to 21,000, but we're discovering that any one gene can make multiple transcripts. So be, Produce slightly differently in a different cell line. So those are different transcripts, anywhere from one to, to dozens with an average gene of having at least three to four different transcripts. And and how those are turned on and off is really becoming the sexier part. Right, Cats and dogs and humans all have the same, basically 20,000 genes, but their regulation, when they get turned on, when they get turned off, how long they stay on and off is what makes us different.
1: Yeah. 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 So when you're talking about those transcripts, then is it possible that each of those transcripts could be responsible for a different effect or would they all be sort of in the same pathway?
3: Um, uh, No, absolutely. Yeah, they could have a different effect. And so that's why we'll see that some diseases, um, uh, I'm trying to think of a good example where the transcripts say in the liver will cause like a lysosomal storage disease, but a similar transcript somewhere else will not cause that tissue uh, to be affected. Hmm. And so, uh, yeah, so you'll have different affections of different tissues uh, even though genomically that gene has mutation. If that particular exon is not used by the transcript in that tissue, then the tissue might be perfectly healthy. Mm -hmm. And and then how these transcripts then interplay with the whole rest of the pathways, you know, we're we're absolutely have to realize that no gene is um, no effect is just one, an on off of one gene. It's an accumulation of things. And and this is why we can have a genetic defect, but be perfectly healthy um, because other pathways kick in and take up the load. And were, we're
1: able to survive some very lethal mutations. It feels kind of daunting, you know, like may, maybe 30 years ago, it was it was a little easier. Right. Because you just thought, hey, I'll find the mutation and, you know, Bob's your uncle. Right. But yeah. but now um, it almost seems kind of overwhelming to think, like, how do we get our way through that? But it's but it's about genomics then, isn't it? It has to be.
3: Yeah, well, I do. I do feel like um, I was fortunate enough to come through the e- easy period, right? Yeah. And so we've been able to solve a lot yes. of the genetic mutations in cats. I, I think, with a little bit of care, if people, if cat registries and and breeders and veterinarians help to push, um, but definitely the registries, if they really use genetics, I think. Uh, you could actually eradicate the known inherited diseases in our cat breeds. I don't think that could be uh-huh. done with dogs yet. Mm-hmm. We might have a little bit of work to do for something like HDM, hypertrophic cardiomyopathy, but, um, but I think everything else could be eradicated. Now we will continue to find new things in a new line because that's sure. what DNA does. It finds new mutations produces new mutations all the time some are good and some are bad so we will always be in the fight yeah yeah we could we could eradicate all the things that we genetically test for now we could get rid of them and you wouldn't have to genetically test for them that's an amazing thought.
2: Why, why don't we leslie
3: uh-huh. <laughs> we're trying we're trying to push that i actually when i was at the world cat congress i gave them Uh, a list of four things that I would like to see the cat fancy start thinking about. And that was one of them is that if you just started using genetics for your registration, and then also, uh, you know, we've really in, in the 20 years since discovering polycystic kidney disease, that used to be 38% of the Persian cats worldwide. Yeah, That's now minuscule. Uh, you'll find it in people that are unaware or people that are new to breeding and haven't been informed and somebody's pawned off some uh, cats with PKD to them and they, they don't realize that and don't know. But the percentage is under 5% at this point. Yeah. It's ne- nearly eradicated. So if you do what we did, don't eliminate everything, but in the next generation, try to remove the positive cats um, you could do it one concern though is like uh, the blindness that's in the orientals um, that mutation the SEP 290 mutation that uh, was found in Abyssinians it's now very high in orientals and I, I think somebody got the message of I'll just don't breed two carriers together well that's true but the rest of the story is And with your carriers, try to replace them in the next generation. Hmm. So get rid of the carriers. And so now that's, that's went up to 30%. And so Hmm. now you have effectively lost 30% of your gene pool, if not more as to who you can breed to.
1: Hmm.
3: So, um, so yeah, genetics up, but cancers, unfortunately back to cancers were, um, that's always going to be a tough battle. Uh, For cats, and that's because of what we described that we don't know of any very strongly heritable cancers in cats, meaning they don't have germline mutations that we're aware of. But most cancers are later onset and likely due to the accumulation of driver mutations that are pushing them down the road.
1: I would say,
2: not yet, Leslie, not yet. (laughs) right right Right. yet we we can fix that by doing the four steps or the three steps that you mentioned already you know finding them first in populations then getting the tissue and then three do the right analysis that's how we find them
1: it's interesting to me if you think of your whole career leslie because it's been a good 30 years right
3: Yep. Ninety-two, yep. February ninety-two. I moved to the Cancer Institute.
1: Yeah. So if you if you think of you know your whole career, so it, it started with um, an idea, um, feline leukemia virus, right? Because it is it is called an onco virus, and it was called leukemia virus, right? Because it was. Uh, first identified in a cat with leukemia. And so, you know, starting with that, oh gosh, like maybe viruses um, are part of this and uh, moving on from there. And, uh, you know, if you think of uh, especially where you are now, like it's a very different world, right? It's uh, the today than it was then. So um, what, what what do you think are the high points? If you look back at like 30 years, you had to pick out some high points. Well, yeah. I would think polycystic kidney disease, I mean, gosh, that in the end, that's a good story. That's a happy story, right?
3: Yeah, that's that's a happy story. And, and uh, hopefully we'll be coming out with a paper in the coming year that we've been able to do feeding trials. Yes. And yes. basically show that particular diets will definitively slow this disease and um even though okay we just said well there's less cats with pkd but that the same disease is in humans and it's very common in humans so uh for me it's a fruition of my career to have that cat model actually demonstrate something that is very useful in humans and um so that's that's just occurred over the past year or two so um very pleased and happy with that and yeah and you know the wonderful work that uh bill murphy um so that's coming out actually in nature genetics so very uh reputable. big journal yeah big journal um got the cover as well well um, yeah so i i got to be on the paper because of all things 30 years ago when i was at the nci I made the hybrid cat, so we were making Joffrey cat hybrids and domestic and leopard cat hybrids. Right. and we stored cell lines on those, ah. can- and Bill used them to make um, a new reference genome for the cat. So this uh, this paper we've been talking about in veterinary sciences, um, it doesn't mention the new genome. It it should have should have recognized that it was there because it's been out in in the public database for a while, but there's been no published paper on it. Well, now the published paper is coming out, but it's far, but it's one of the best genomes in the business and where the cat was always lacking because of this odd thing that cats can breed with cats that are millions of years apart in evolutionary time, we were able to build, uh, construct a really, really good genome. What we call telomere to telomere so the ends of your chromosomes are called yeah. telomeres. we've been able to go from one end all the way through the other and in many cases bill murphy's group made it even through the centromere which is a bunch of repeat sequences so that's hard to get through um so bill murphy's done a wonderful job putting a tool together that started with me making a cat back in the nci never knowing it would ever get used yeah. for something like this yeah. so all this has been re- resurrected again and now it turns it's a tool i use every day we're trying to find the causes of genetic diseases sometimes i can't find them and it's sometimes it's because the genome was wrong yeah. or the annotation of the genes are poor yeah. and so we're we're trying to do things like that in the yeah. background as we try to find inherited diseases and causes for cancers. And that good genome is going to allow us to better use genomics to find the causes of cancers.
1: So I just That's want it. to clarify because like, I think the three of us know what you're talking about. So when you're talking about um, the quality of the cat genome, what you're talking about is how much we ha- know about it and how much um, uh uh how 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 much of the genome we know about, how many blank spots are there, and so on, right? That's what you're talking about.
3: Yeah. So when when we sequence the genome, we want to there's 19 pairs of cat chromosomes. So there's technically 19 strands of DNA in a cell, but right. times two because you 19. get 19 from mom and 19 from dad. And um, the idea with a genome sequence is to know exactly the order of those A, T, Cs, and Gs on each one of those strands from beginning to end. And um, even the human genome hasn't been able to do that until more recently. So people have always, oh, the genome's done. It's like, no, it's never uh, completely done. Um, because then also you have these very difficult parts that are very hard to just sequence in the first place. Um, so, Uh, Having knowing where the genes are and how they're structured, how many exons they have, where's the regulatory regions that go with each one of those genes and Mm. how do they influence one another? Those are the fun things that are coming ahead of us. Mm.
1: You know, I, I, I remember I've been hanging out with you at genetics conferences over the years many times, right? And so... Um, a couple of, of times in the past, there's been like a new a new genome has been uh, um, realized for cats or an improvement on a genome, right? So it was really sort of building step by step to the, because uh, I think cats started out with um, not very much knowledge of where things were on their genome compared to other species. But now look look at today.
3: Yeah, yeah. I mean, we've always been kind of the st- I don't you know not the sloppy seconds we were actually the more efficient seconds right so yeah. we saw what people did incorrectly and so we got to use our resources to let's not play around let's do it the right way because yeah. all these people have played around because they had to yeah and got things right got things wrong so we've always been able to sit back and and do it more efficiently but that also meant we were always a year or two behind yeah um, but at this current stage, because we had this hybrid cat, we were able to leapfrog. And now, besides humans, cats might be the next best genome there is. That's that's amazing.
2: Answer yeah. my question, because you said the best. I was like, is it even better than the human one? <laughs> so much millions and millions and millions yeah. of dollars on getting that. So Yeah,
3: very, very close. Very close, actually. So we're not not too bad at all. That's,
2: that's, a, that's a impressive. For our podcast. So yeah. uh,
3: but overall, to use it, we need veterinarians to help us uh ascertain cases. Yeah. And veterinarians, nothing I do can be done without very strong clinical phenotyping. Yeah. And so I'm always cheering for the radiologists and the oncologists to get the coolest new tools and the coolest new radionucleotides so that uh, we can get the best definition of our cases so the genetics becomes easier. Yeah. Yep, yep. there you go. The
2: three steps that we need to do. So yep.
3: <laughs> at least it's not a what at least it's not a 20-step uh yes. Right. It, <laughs> it's simple. So yeah.
2: we have the, we have the best genome here. We have only three steps that we have to do. So let's get it <laughs>
3: done. Yeah, exactly. <laughs>
2: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> hey, this good. has been fantastic. So thank you so much, Leslie. Yes.
3: Yeah, my pleasure. I'm always happy to join you guys. Yeah, you always have something new to say too. So
2: I know. Yeah. I know. That's wonderful. Like, you know, who said that genomics is boring? It's
1: yeah. Not, it's... <laughs> <laughs> not at all. Not at all. Yeah. No, I've learned so much from Leslie over the years. My gosh. That's- yeah. So much
3: well so. you guys are my go-to of I get a weird and wacky cat <laughs> have you guys seen this you know, what do you think about this one right
2: and then the answer is could it be genetic
1: yeah <laughs> 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 of so. course. yeah
2: awesome thank you so much uh, yes Dr. thank you would like to do do oh, do I
1: do the wrap up now <laughs> yep You know, I, I'm always um, so pleased when you allow me to do the wrap ups. Yes. (laughs) So this is the per podcast in case you've lost your way during this um, podcast and now don't know where you are. This is the per podcast and you can find more about us at per especially when I get that website updated. (laughs) that will help uh, and on social media we're at per podcast so you can look us up and um yeah and if you have a a, a veterinary friend or just a friend who's interested in feline medicine then we're the bomb
2: right you're the
1: shizzle, shizzle.
2: <laughs> that's it yeah. all right thanks leslie
0: Yay, thank you party on Step three is to treat the cat for at least two to three weeks with an appropriate diet and see if the stone gets smaller. If so, keep feeding that diet until the stone is completely gone on follow-up radiographs. If not, check compliance with the owner and look for alternative treatment options.